right, so we are going to be reading a passage from Ecclesiastes 1, uh, 1 through 11. For those of you with uh, Bibles that you found on the seats, that's going to be pi- page 553. And give me a moment here. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and read over us. I'm going to be reading in Spanish today. Um, the reason that we want to do this is because we have been talking about diversity and how important that is into the church. So, um, I mean, how many Spanish speakers do we have in here this morning? Me. Okay. <laughs> Wonderful. Still diverse, though. <laughs> um, but it's important to acknowledge that there are many people that are included in this faith that have a different tongue. So we want to be uh, all about that. Um, once I finish, we're going to say thanks be to God. And the reason that we do that is because we as a church believe that this is God's holy word. And without it, I mean, we, we wouldn't need to gather because we wouldn't have anything to talk about. But, um, yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and read here. Sorry. Okay. Palabras del predicador, hijo de David, rey en Jerusalén. Vanidad de vanidades, dijo el predicador. Vanidad de vanidades, todo vanidad. ¿Qué provecho tiene el hombre de todo? Su trabajo con su afana debajo del sol. Generación va y generación viene, mas la tierra siempre permanece. El, y sale y el sol, y pon, ponese el sol, y con deseo vuelve a su lugar donde torna a nacer. Al viento tira hacia el mel, Meliodia, y rodea al norte. Va girando de continuo, y a sus giros torna el viento de nuevo. Los ríos van a la mar, y la mar no se hinche, al lugar de donde los ríos vinieron. Ahí tornan por, para correr de nuevo. Todas las cosas andan en trabajo, más que el hombre puede decir. Ni los ojos viéndose hartan de ver, ni los oídos se hinchan de oír. ¿Qué es lo que fue? Lo mismo que será. ¿Qué es lo que ha sido hecho? Lo mismo que será. Y nada hay nuevo debajo del sol. Hay algo de que se puede decir. He aquí, esto es nuevo. Ya fue en los ciclos que nos han precedido. No hay memoria de lo que ha precedido, ni tampoco de lo que sucederá habrá memoria en los que serán después. This is the reading of God's word. Thank you, God, for bringing us together for this morning. Um, we thank you for everyone who was able to make it through that blizzard this morning. And we, uh, we thank you for this time. We ask that you would bless Pastor Kyle's message this morning, that you would speak through him to the heart's of the people here this morning. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Thank you, Gabe. Please be seated. <clears throat> Good morning, everybody. Y'all brave the snow. That's what I'm talking about. Um, snow always reminds me of two things. The scriptures talk about snow as um, being something as a demonstration of God's power. It's something that in, in snow, God is uh, creation is preaching to us about how powerful God is. So the scriptures say that, yeah, you might have a huge army and a powerful army, but then God sends snow and you're just turned into a bunch of sissies. And, um, and then the other thing, uh, picture of snow is it's, it, it's a symbol of God's grace that God freely from heaven forgives us from our sins and washes our sins as white as snow. And so it doesn't matter how muddy it is or how dirty it is out there. When it snows, it's all like it's pure. And that's the good news of the scriptures, that if we come to God in faith and just say, God, I'm a sinner, I need your forgiveness, he will wash your sin as white as snow. Amen, church? 
So welcome to Living Stones. My name is Kyle. Today we start this great book of Ecclesiastes, and we're calling the sermon series, And Then the End. Because as you read it, you might have read this book this last week, like I told you to, and, and you might have said, this book is depressing. Because it's like you live and you spend your whole life striving, and then you die. Then the end. And so it leaves us asking the question, what is life all about? And it's a good book for us. Um, you know, uh, one commentator, David Gibson, I read, said it's kind of the opposite of how children live. Ch- children have this tendency to live in a fairy tale world, and it's beautiful, isn't it? Like, I watch my three kids, and they're always imagining something. And it's kind of funny to watch the difference between boys and girls. Uh, girls, my, you know, my daughter's imagining she's a unicorn and a princess and all this stuff. And the boys are always trying to kill each other and kill the bad guys. And they have this beautiful imagination. Girls get together and play house and play doctor. And the boys, you know, they're playing superheroes and um, cops and robbers. And it's fun to watch them. But there's also a part of you as an adult be like, you're just like, someday reality is going to hit. And the, the truth is, is in the real world, you can't turn into your favorite animal, no matter how bad you want to. In the real world, if you fall into lava, it will kill you. In the real world, doctors don't get to play doctor. If they make a mistake, your life is at stake. And doctors can't always fix you. In the real world, you can't get your arm chopped off by a bad guy and have it regrow again. In the real world, if you get shot, you die. Ecclesiastes is a book about the real world. And if we're honest, the real world leaves us often asking the hard question of what's the point? You guys might have asked this question before. What's the point? Growing up in school, I was like, what's the point of learning calculus if I'm never going to use it in the real world? I used to argue with my mom. What's the point of making my bed if I'm going to sleep in it in 16 hours? But more seriously, you know, as kids, we grow up. What's the point of trying out if I know I'm going to get cut? What's the point of having a relationship if all my relationships only last for three weeks? What's the point of opening up my heart to that person who says they're going to be there, but they always abandon me? What's the point of getting married if everybody in my family is plagued with divorce? What's the point of working hard at my job if I know the promotion's just going to go to the boss's nephew? What's the point of going to college if it just means a bunch of debt and I just have to start the same playing field as all these other people who didn't go to college? What's the point of, you know, I, I know a lot of people are lonely in, in our church here, that you're singles wanting to be married or people who are widowed or divorced, and they're asking the question, what's the point of cooking a nice dinner if I just have to eat alone? And many of us are depressed in this room. What's the point of living if life is so full of suffering? It seems like it's all pointless. It's all vanity. It's all meaningless. And that is the mega theme of this book. The word vanity, as you see in verse 2, is used 38 times in this book. Some of your translations say meaningless or futile. And it's the mega theme of what this book is all about. And the good news of the book of Ecclesiastes is it shows us that there's a God who cares. And you are not alone. And that life is hard, 
but God wants to speak hope into this life. Amen? And so I like how the book goes, though, because it doesn't give you all the answers in chapter one. You have to read it through the end of the book to get the answers. And so this book is a book of God's hope in the real world. God's hope in the real world. And so let's jump right in to verse one. It says, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. So this, uh, here we're introduced to the author and uh, the main voice in the passage. Now, in this book, as you read through it, there, we, we're not entirely sure who the author is. Some people say it's, the, it's King Solomon. Other people say it's another writer of, uh, in Israel who is taking on the persona of King Solomon, who was a very wise man. But there's two primary voices in the book. There's first the author, who's at the very beginning and the very end. He speaks the least. And he gives commentary to this other voice who's called the preacher or Mr. Preacher. Um, And Mr. Preacher is like a middle-aged critic who is kind of laughing at all those who think they have life figured out. And he's basically going through this saying, oh, you think you have life figured out. Let me show you how you do not. And so the audience of this book is demonstrated for us in verse 3 when the preacher says to us, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? So the audience is all those who live under the sun. Who lives under the sun? We do. All of us. And if the preacher's main audience is those who think they have life figured out, if you think you have life figured out, this book is going to serve as a slap in the face. A friendly slap in the face. The Proverbs say, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And this book is God being a friend to you. (laughs) And he might slap you in the face as you go through this book. Um, For those of you who are going through life and you're struggling and it's really hard, this book is going to be an empathetic hug. Because it's God's way of saying, you're not crazy. (laughs) It's okay. And I'm with you. But for all of us, It's going to challenge us to not just find our hope under the sun, but from the one who is above the sun, that is God himself. And uh, if let's read verses two through 11. The book opens up with a song. This is a song. Okay. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. It's all vanity. What does man gain by the toil of which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run into the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they will flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been done in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of the later things yet to be among those who come after. This is the opening song of the book. Wonderful song, isn't it? If you were to categorize what kind of song this would be, how would you categorize it? Definitely emo, right? Or country, 
driving down the dirt road. Don't know where I'm going, though. My dog always sick, bro. Like, it's just, <laughs> this is a sad song. I was reading this with some people in my community group this week, and a guy said to me, he literally said, if this is where I opened up my Bible, I would have stopped reading the Bible. <laughs> this is a sad song, or maybe it's just real talk. And it prolongs the reader to, to keep on reading and say, yeah, you're speaking to me, preacher. What's next? What's this all about? And his answer and the big idea for today is this. It's all vanity. Um, now, that word vanity, as you can see in there, if you look in most of your Bibles, you might have like a little number by that, that word. And if you look down at the bottom, it'll give reference to what that word is. This was written in Hebrew. And it's, hard, it's been a hard word to translate from Hebrew to English. And so uh, our English translators have, you know, kind of striven to uh, uh, translate this appropriately. So some have translated as uh, vanity, others as futile, and others as meaningless. But the reality is, is the word means, it, it's just the word that means uh, smoke, or vi- uh, mist, or vapor, or breath. And it's the Hebrew word, hevel. Everybody say hevel. It's the Hebrew word, hevel. And so my big idea for today is this. It's all hevel. It's all hevel. So let's talk about what hevel is. Hevel is the Hebrew word that means breath or smoke. You guys didn't know I'm going to go Bill Nye the Science Guy on you over here today. (laughs) But if you think about what smoke or mist or fog is, it has a few different qualities. First of all, these particular particles of mist are here, but then they're gone in an instant. And that's your life. It's hevel. Your life is here and then gone. Like your breath in the morning out there today, it's not even here today, gone tomorrow. It's here today, gone right now. That's your life. It's all Hevel. But the other thing about Hevel is if you try to grasp it, you always come up empty-handed. So no matter how much you try, it's really cool. Like you always, you want to grab this. Like I did this with my kids last night and they were like sticking their hands in and trying to grab, but you always come up empty-handed. And that's the thing with life, isn't it? Like you, you think these things in life are going to satisfy you, whether it be your career or your vacations or your retirement. You think that making the team is going to satisfy you or winning the game. But at the end, you're just like, there's got to be something more. I read an article about Tom Brady a few weeks ago, and he was talking about, um, it was talking about how this guy went over to his house, and all over his house was all this religious literature, Bibles, all these other religions, all this, and, and the, the guy just said, why, what, what's going on here? You're Tom Brady, and he's like, look, man, I've won all these Super Bowls, and I've just realized there's got to be something more. You can't grasp it. Just come up empty-handed. The other thing about Hevel is, If you think of it in terms of a fog, imagine this whole room was just filled with this fog. It would be really disorienting, scary, and you wouldn't be able to see. 
And that's the thing about life. Life often feels that way. I was talking with a friend of mine, Jason Simmons, and he was saying he used to drive big trucks. The trip, he said triples, which has three, um, three parts, three trailers on the truck. And he said when we were driving up in Oregon, sometimes the fog would be so bad that you had to let go the last truck. You had to pull over and let that one off to the side because you could see, but the fog was so bad you couldn't see the end. And doesn't life feel like that sometimes? You're like, I can't even see 100 yards ahead of me. And I feel like I'm in such suffering, I can't even see 100 yards behind me. It's hevel. It's all hevel. So when you read that word vanity or meaningless or futile, just think of this mist, this air. It's all hevel. And hevel's home is shown for us right here in verse 3. What does man gain by the toil at which he toils under the sun. So where is Hevel existing? Under the sun. Now, under the sun is also a phrase that is used throughout this book 30 times. And the word, the phrase is both a phrase of location and of time. So location, this earth is under the sun, but also time. Our time is spent under the sun and it's not long lasting. And so Hevel's home is under the sun. And he says in verse three, what does man gain by all the toil under the sun? What does man profit here on this earth? What does man profit in all this hevel? The answer is, it's a rhetorical question, is you profit nothing. If you get rich, one day you're gonna die and you don't get to take a U-Haul to heaven. If you get famous, it doesn't matter how famous you get, you're going to be forgotten. And I know that you might be thinking of some famous people, but listen, there's 7 billion people in the world and the people we regard as famous in the United States, most of the world doesn't even know who they are. And if they do now, they'll forget them in the next generation. If you think that life is about building this great career and becoming successful and getting great, listen, a generation goes and a generation comes and the earth remains forever. You might think you're great, but Mount Rose is not impressed with you. Mount Rose is like, yeah, I've been here a while. A lot greater than you. Like, you get tired climbing me. It's all hevel. If you think life is about, okay, well, if it's all just pointless, then let's just have as much fun as possible. This is a big thing of millennials right now. Let's just travel the world. We don't want to live in big houses. We want to travel. It's about experiences. But guess what? Every one of those vacations comes to an end. And if you're honest, you've been to some of those places and you're just like, eh, it's okay. But Monday always comes. The vacation always ends. And the greatest parties always leave you still feeling wanting. It's all hevel, under the sun. Now, a Hebrew would have read this word, this phrase, under the sun, not just as a location and time, but also as an understanding of life apart from God. Because the Hebrew understanding is that there is a God, and he is above the sun. He's above all galaxies, and he's holding it all together. And so when a Hebrew would have read this passage, they would have said, life without God is all hevel. And Hevel came into this world when mankind decided to live life without God, which happened in the very couple, first couple pages of your Bible with Adam and Eve rebelling against God and living life their way instead of God's way. So literally, when Adam sinned against God, Adam 
brought Hevel into this world. Adam is the father of Hevel. And here's a really cool nerd nugget. He had two sons, Cain and Abel. Guess what Abel's name actually translates as? Hevel. He's literally the father of Hevel. And ever since then, life has felt like this. That's why there's nothing new under the sun. Life apart from God is all Hevel. And the author in this, or the preacher in this passage goes on to list five illustrations that basically say that Hevel is a repetitive cycle that always leads us to exhaustion. Okay, so he lists five illustrations. He lists the illustration of a generation, the wind, the sun, the streams, and history. So let's look at those together. Verse three, or excuse me, verse four. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. So just picture, you just, you know, people die and people are born. People die and people are born. People die and people are born. It's this repetitive cycle. Then he goes to verse five. The sun rises and the sun goes down and it hastens to a place where it rises. So the author's like literally, the sun is like a dog chasing its tail. Or you might say like a runner running around the track, just around and around and around the sun goes. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the earth and, it, and around and around goes the wind. So again, this is a poetic way of saying, yeah, the wind's blowing to the south. And then if you just follow that to its end, it just keeps on coming. The next day, guess what? It blows to the south again. It's this repetitive cycle. Verse seven, all streams run into the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. So we know how this works in science. The streams go into the ocean. The ocean doesn't keep on getting full. What happens? The water evaporates, goes into clouds, comes back, rains or snows, and then goes back into the streams. It's this cycle. And then lastly, history. What has been done is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. Verse 11, there's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be remembrance of any later things yet to be among those who come after. History is also this repetitive cycle. Now you might be saying, there's lots of new things. We have iPhones and Bluetooth and all these cool inventions. But what the author is getting at is more heart issues, more uh, the basics of humanity. Listen, kingdoms rise, but guess what? Kingdoms fall. And there's been revolutions before and we know how they go. And, uh, you know, the human heart is after the same things, no matter what. The human heart is after comfort and security. It's after approval and fame. It's after power and control. This is what the heart wants. It wants to be included. It wants to be known. And all of history can be seen through that lens. And it's just repetitive cycle after repetitive cycle in every culture and every place throughout the entire globe. It's all the same. It's all Hevel. And verse eight shows us that what Hevel does to us. It says, all things are full of weariness. Man cannot attain it or cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. So the author says, look, it's all Hevel and, and it's all wearisome. So think about the, the sun. If it were a person running around, it's just running around and running around since the long, the thousands of years that the earth has been here, just keep going around and around. The sun's getting tired. And it's, that's life, isn't it? It's wearisome. It's tiring. It's exhausting. Picture how frustrated the streams have to be. We keep trying to fill up these oceans, but then they keep raining back down on us. 
We can't accomplish our job. It's all hevel. Think about how frustrated history has got to be. Looking at humanity, if, it were, if we were to personify history, history would be saying to us, this has happened before, people. Do you really have to make the same mistakes again? Learn from yourselves. It's all hevel. And, it's, and it never leads to satisfaction. Um, it says the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. No matter how much you see or attain or get, you always want more. It's like Ben and Jerry's ice cream. I get to the bottom of that, and I'm like, I want more. <laughs> C.S. Lewis captures this really well in his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, in which Edmund meets the white witch, and uh, she gives him a piece of candy, a Turkish delight, and he gobbles it up, and he just wants more, and he wants more, and he wants more, and he wants more, and it's so good, but he's never satisfied. And that's C.S. Lewis's way of capturing what Hevel is. This is life. You go on a great vacation, it won't be satisfying. You have the best sex in the world, you're going to just want more. Money's not enough, you always want more. We want more experiences, we want more tender moments, we, we want more reality, we always want more. We want more entertainment, we want more delights, we want more desserts, we always want more. It's all Hevel. And no matter how hard we try to grasp it, look at how quickly this hevel has disappeared. No matter how hard we try to grasp it, we can't hold on to it. We always come up empty-handed. You see, Jesus taught this to us in Mark chapter 8. It's going to be on the screen. Mark chapter 8, Jesus says, Forever, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does man profit if what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? You see, the uh, the preacher here sounds very similar to Jesus. In Ecclesiastes, the preacher is asking, "What does man gain? It's all hevel." And Jesus is saying the exact same thing: "What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul?" You see, some of your translations translate this word "vanity" as meaningless. And it's not saying that everything in life has no meaning. That's not what it's saying. It's saying everything in life has no ultimate meaning if it's under this one. So no matter family, your family, no matter how important it is to you and it does have meaning, if you place on it ultimate meaning, it just becomes vanity. Your career, no matter how meaningful it is to you and how great it is, if you place ultimate meaning, on it, it won't sustain you and it just becomes vanity. Your relationships, if you place ultimate meaning on those, nobody can bear that kind of weight. It just becomes vanity. If you put all the pressure on your children to satisfy you, they won't be able to bear that and it's going to break the relationship and it's just going to be vanity. You see, a careful reader would read this phrase, vanity of vanities. And they would recognize that in the Old Testament, there's a similar but opposite phrase, holy of holies. And the holy of holies was where God's presence was. And a careful reader would understand what the the preacher is trying to say to us, that when you live life under the sun or apart from God, 
and try to place on earthly things ultimate meaning, it just becomes vanity of vanities. But when you see that God is in control of it all and you surrender it all to God, it actually becomes holy of holies. Wherever you go becomes a holy place because God is there and God is in control and God is good. This is what uh, throughout church history, Christians have called sacramental living. The word sacramental just comes from two words, sacred and mental, meaning the way you think. And so it's this approach to life that, that approaches every moment in your life as if God was there and that moment becomes a sacred moment. And so in Ecclesiastes, we see that when we live life trying to make life the ultimate thing, it just becomes empty. But Jesus shows us that when we let go of our life and we lose it all and surrender it to him, life becomes full. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, strive for heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Strive for earth and you'll get neither. If we long for God, every moment of our life is redeemed out of heaven. But if we live apart from him, every moment of our life remains empty. And this is why so many of us in this room feel tired and wearisome. I don't care if you call yourself a Christian or not, or wear your cross around your neck, or here every single week. We feel tired and wearisome because we've been trying to live life under the sun apart from God. And whether you call yourself a Christian or not, you've been living like a functional atheist. And so this is an invitation from God to get on our knees and surrender all to him and say, God, even in the midst of the struggle, I want to know that you're here. And when we do that, there's good news. He is here. Because Jesus also said to us in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he says this, Come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, if the preacher of Ecclesiastes is right, every human who lives under the sun is subject to this futility of hevel. We're all burdened by it, which meaning none of us can help ourselves, no matter how much we dig deep and try. No matter how much we believe in ourselves, it will never help yourself. <laughs> Under the sun, there's only heaven. So where is our hope? Where does our hope come from? The Lord, the Lord Almighty, who is above the sun. The only hope for humanity is that one from above the sun would enter under the sun and redeem us and rescue us out of our heaven, which is exactly what Jesus came to do. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, that's what he was doing on the cross. On the cross, Jesus just wasn't suffering as a criminal, though he was innocent. He wasn't just bearing the wrath of God, which is a huge deal. What else was he doing on the cross? He was absorbing our hevel, our burdens and frustrations and weariness. He was taking it all into himself on the cross in our place. The light of the world was thrown into darkness, hevel. The prince of peace 
was given over to unbearable anxiety until his heart literally exploded. The author of life was blotted out of life under the sun. Historians tell us that when somebody was crucified, it wasn't just a way to humiliate them, it was a way to erase them. And so as Jesus was hanging there on the cross, he was inhaling like smoke all of your hevel, your burdens, your frustrations, your fogginess, your unbearable anxiety that leaves you shaking in the corner, your confusion. He was inhaling it all in. Why? To give you rest. Hebrew readers would have understood also that when they read the word hevel, there's an equal and opposing word, the word shalom. And shalom is a word that means rest or everything as it ought to be or perfect peace. And what Jesus is offering you and me today as he hangs there on the cross in our imaginations as he did 2,000 years ago in history is he says, come to me with your hevel and I'll give you shalom. And he hangs there open arms because this invitation is for everybody. It's not just for goody tissues, religious neatniks. It's for screw-ups and criminals and repeat offenders. It's for anybody who has the, the honesty to admit that their life is just hevel. And the promise is great. You may be burdened by your hevel, but his promise is greater. If you come to him and give it to him, he will give you shalom. He'll give you rest. You might sum up this passage as saying, life under the sun is hevel, but life with the one above the sun is shalom. And so I have four application points for us today based on this passage in Ecclesiastes. The first application point is this. Stop grasping for what you'll never hold. Stop living for small things. Stop believing the lie of advertising and commercials. There's been plenty, you can go and just Google celebrities who are miserable. There's been plenty of celebrities who we would say they have it all according to the world standards and they're miserable because whatever you think you can hold on to, even if it's your family, even even if it's a good thing, if you make it an ultimate thing, it will fail you and you'll always come up empty handed. So stop grasping for that and start grasping for Christ. You can do that today. You don't have to be an extremely intelligent person either to do that. You just have to say, Jesus, I need you. This invitation is for all. And sometimes it's our own intelligence that prevents us from doing so. The second application point is this. Be comforted, you're not crazy. Some of you feel so overwhelmed right now. And I'm with you. I've had a gnarly last two weeks. You're not crazy. Life is heaven. God is with you. 
a good friend of mine had a nervous breakdown. Literally, he found himself in this corner just lying on the floor, weeping uncontrollably. His wife came in, was scared, didn't know what to do. I talked to him the next day, and he said, I'm just afraid that I'm literally going crazy. And my answer to him is, no, no, you're not, brother. It's just hevel. It's real. The church is a safe place for you to fall apart, or it ought to be. And one of the problems with American Christianity is we're so happy-go-lucky all the time. Life is good, brother. Welcome. Believe in Jesus and you'll be great. But that's not true. That's a lie from the pit of hell. We live in a fallen world. And life sucks sometimes. And God knows. And God cares. You're not crazy. Now that leads me to my third point of application. Stop taking yourself so seriously. If your life, look, it's gone. The heaven's gone. The, the mist, the smoke, it's gone. It's here and then gone. That's your life. I was burdened with anxiety and I was praying in the back, back here. And I was just asking God, well, come on, do something, show up. And I really think the Holy Spirit just said to me, Kyle, your life is just a blip. And you know, it's really freeing to admit that. Oh, I'm just a blip. One of seven billion people on this planet and I'm gonna go and then another generation is gonna rise up. I'm just a blip. There's so much freedom in that because we can take ourselves so seriously that we miss the little moments of God's presence. We even in big moments where life feels like it's falling apart, we miss God's hand because all we're doing is consumed about our own troubles. Stop taking your life so seriously. As my mom says, take a chill pill. This is from Jesus, from, you know, Dr. Jesus, take a chill pill. And let him give you rest. And then lastly, the last application point is this. You won't be able to take a chill pill unless you acknowledge your hevel and surrender it to Christ. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. But you have to come to him. We all want God just to give us rest. But we don't do the work of coming to Jesus. There is no rest unless you come to Jesus. You have to come to him. You have to surrender to him. And the call is the same, whether you're in here today for the first time and you've never heard the message of Jesus Christ or you've been a Christian for 30 years, the call is the same. Every day, every moment of your life, you have to come to Jesus. And the invitation is great because if you come to him, it's a promise, he will give you rest. And so it's a moment by moment surrender to God. We must do this as a church. If the whole world is lost in the fog of heaven, Christians need to be the ones who are living in the light of Christ. But we can't do that if we're not regularly surrendering to him. We can't do that if we think we have life all figured out. We can't do that if we're proud. And so the call for us is to surrender. Now some practical ways that you could do this. One way that has been helpful for me over the years 
is taking a prayer walk. I got like ADD. I can't just sit there and pray. I fall asleep or I start thinking about the dishes or food or whatever. So one thing that's helpful for me to focus is I take a walk around my block. It takes me about 15 minutes. And I just pray, God. I do it every night before I go to bed. Put my kids down, hang out. But then before I go to bed, I do this prayer walk. And there's a direct correlation to how well I sleep and whether or not I did the prayer walk. The nights that I find myself up all night and restless are are most of the time nights that I'm just like, I'm just too tired. I'm going to go to bed. And I end up burying those things in my heart. But the nights where I actually give them over to God before I go to bed, I sleep like a baby. And the invitation is for you too. Um, My wife, the way that she's been doing it, she's been really burdened by a lot of fears and anxieties and stresses and anger and frustration. So she just wrote every one of those things down on an index card. And every day she's been taking that index card and saying, I'm giving it to you, God. I'm giving it to you, God. I'm giving it to you, God. You have to figure out a way to surrender. Maybe you go to work five minutes early and you sit in the car and you just give God your day. But if you're like me and you're always late and that is never going to happen, maybe you get home and before you go in the house, you sit in your car for five minutes before you go home and you give God your day. We have to surrender to God if we want his shalom. So what are you going to do? This invitation is for all of us. Lord, help us. And the truth is we can't even surrender to you in our own strength. We need your help. Thank you for the snow today because it shows us your mighty power. It shows us that even though we've been living in the burden of hevel without giving you our burdens, you want to forgive us and blot away our sins. And God, whatever is preventing us from giving our burdens to you, Lord, we pray that you would just lift our soul right now and you would help us to to give those over to you right now as we come to you in communion, as we come to you um, at the table. Lord, thank you for the wonderful promise that if we come to you, you will give us peace. Not you might, you will give us peace. May your peace be upon us. Amen.